Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the podcast and to episode 222. I hope you're well out there. I hope things are good for you at the moment. We're we're starting to see more people commuting to work. Um, So there could be some of you maybe listening as uh, your commute is happening. Or hello and welcome again to all of you listening in, well, everywhere else I guess. Um, I hope I hope things are, are good for you. This week I am delighted to be joined by another new guest. Gabrielle is with us today and we're going to be talking a little bit about her lived experience with mental health illness, um, particularly uh, kind of around schizophrenia, depression and kind of surviving mental health crisis. Um, it was a really nice conversation actually to talk about some of the different support um, systems or tools that can be in place. I don't know it's necessarily a huge part of our conversation, but I think a really interesting one in terms of kind of reflecting on those things that do support our well-being. And again, hopefully that's something that kind of prompts thoughts or discussions with you um, at home or wherever you are around what supports your well-being, what are the things that really um, yeah, help keep you happy and positive and productive. Um And I think that we often think about that in regards to someone experiencing a mental health illness or certain struggles, but it really is important for kind of everyone, I think, to engage with, to think about how they are supporting their well-being, regardless of an illness or a diagnosed illness or certain symptoms. Uh, And yeah, we talked through um, a few other things, Gabrielle's work as an author um as well so there's there's a lot in there i really hope you enjoy listening in as always links to gabrielle and her work are at the end of the episode or in the show notes as well if you would like to be a guest 
uh, in future on the podcast you can find information on the website which is openjournalbc.com and that'll give you a, a few bits of information and introduction to being a guest but for now for today uh, I'm going to hand over to well kind of myself I guess uh, to myself and to Gabrielle um, as we listen in to our conversation from a few days ago as always I really hope you enjoy this and a massive thank you to Gabrielle for sharing her lived experience for sharing her insights her knowledge Um, it really does make a difference I think sharing these personal stories and personal insights so a huge huge thank you to her I hope you enjoy this week's episode here it is So thank you so much for joining me today. It's really nice to sit down and um, have the opportunity to chat with you. And I'm again reminded of the brilliance of kind of online conversation and virtual networking at the moment where we can talk across country um, and have conversations that we just wouldn't be able to in person. So, um, yeah. How are you? How's your last week been? What's been going on for you? Thank you very much, Mike. It's wonderful to be here and to talk with you. And I also think it's wonderful to talk across uh, continents and countries and my week has been um, very good I decided to put a project aside I've been working on which I've been sort of stalling with for the last few weeks writing and I've decided to do something else which has been very liberative so I've been feeling very free and um, and I'm excited to do some some other things like painting and writing instead of um, building or or painting instead of writing and um so it's it's been a good week yeah Yeah, oh that's really good that's nice I think it's it feels like a time to be kind of quite reflective on tasks and projects and things as well doesn't it with I think just everything that's happened in the last year there's kind of those points where you go is this really what I want to spend my time on is this kind of how Mm -hmm. I want to Mm-hmm. and invest my knowledge my expertise or just become more aware of something new it I, it feels like it really has been that chance for people to be reflective on what they're doing for me it's been a very reflective time this past year i i live in a very small pastoral sometimes jazzy town in switzerland and um so the sheltering in place here has been very much like what my life is like already because I'm very much on my own and with the countryside. But it's it's made my my desire to be with loved ones and to be spontaneous. It's really brought that out. And um, it's been a very reflective time for me. And um, I've written a book on lessons of hope uh, on, on this past year on what I've learned out of sheltering in place and thinking about COVID. So yes, it's been an intensive time too. And I've yeah. lost a dear friend, unfortunately, a very oh, dear friend. Which is I'm very, very sorry to hear that. Yes. I think it's it's one of those, there's, there's so many big moments that have happened yes. for people. Like um, yes. in the last couple of weeks, I've spoken to people that have had, um, that have friends Mm -hmm. that have got pregnant and had children and they've not seen any of that journey and it's just kind of a reminder like big things are still happening Happening. people are still getting married there are still people that are passing and we're just not kind of seeing people in that time it's it's so important to be together Mm -hmm. 
I think it's sometimes it's misleading, isn't it? That you think, oh, my my days are fairly similar. Yeah. Um, and you're just kind of, I guess, moving along. And actually, there are really, really big moments happening big in people's time. lives. We're just not as connect. I don't know. We're not as connected or we're not as engaged as, as we were before. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a, a, a few things that we're kind of going to talk through mm-hmm. today. But I guess just to start off with, um, can you just tell me a little bit about what's, what's led to us sitting down today to, to having this conversation? Yes, I'd be happy to. I'll tell you a little bit about myself first, just as an introduction. I'm 58 years old. I have an Indian, Arabic, Swiss, American background, um, which I'm mentioning because of what's going to follow. Um, I've lived in New York, Hamburg and Zurich for about 15 years each. I live in a small town now. And um, I'm a writer, painter, and architect. I've published about 20 special edition art and poetry books over the past 20 years, which I really love doing. It's something that I'm very passionate about. I build and I paint and I exhibit my paintings. That's sort of my the, the heart of my life mm, is, is what I do. And um, the reason why why we're speaking today is because in the 90s, I was in my early 30s, I experienced a spiritual awakening, which left me struggling, which was later diagnosed as schizophrenia, depression and a burnout. And um, in 2017, after 16 years of being psychosis free, I decided, unfortunately, at the time I was very excited about it, to go off my medication. And it really backfired on me, although I did it with a doctor and I did it, um, you know, under supervision and doing it over a long stretch of time. I slid right back into a psychosis again. It was a very spiritual psychosis. It was very beautiful and very horrifying at the same time. And it lasted for two years. The first episode was about on and off for seven years. Mm. Very long time. I was in and out of a lot of psychosis psychiatric institutions and hospitals and and the second time I was for two years on my own I wasn't in any hospital I was living my life on my own and I receded into myself during those two years and during both of these psychoses I lost a large portion of my family contact to my family I lost my work I lost my home I lived on the streets for several months and um both times the path back into life has been very long and, and arduous, but I've received a tremendous amount of help from family, friends and therapists. And art and writing has really kept me going and has helped me to get back into my life mm-hmm. again, which has been really beautiful. And since my psychosis, I've published four books on the subject of mental health. The first is Sleeping with the Angels, which is a really close inside view of what goes on inside of a psychotic person. It's really my experiences, my visions, my hallucinations, the voices I heard and the stories that started to develop as I was as I was in this uh, emergence. And my second book is Healing from Visionary Psychosis, which is about healing strategies and how to return to a fulfilled life after a psychosis. 
And then the third book is called Papillon Village, which looks at how psychiatry could be more humane than it is today, because I had a lot of very scary experiences in hospitals. <laughs> and then my most recent work book is uh, my recovery work journal, which is hopefully it's a diary. It stretches over 31 days and there are two pages per day. And it asks you questions and is supposed to be an inspiration for mending relations with family, friends, work, the home and oneself after a psychosis. And writing these books has helped me a lot in healing and recovering from these experiences and has also helped me look at them and integrate them into my daily life. And my first three books were written under a pen name, whilst the last book, my recovery work journal, is written under my real name. And um, this book and this talk today actually are kind of coming out, because until recently, I really kept my psychosis apart from my public life. They've been totally two separate things. But I've decided it's important to sort of challenge the stigma that is associated with psychosis. And um, to speak with Lauren Hill, she has a line in a song that I really love where she says, turn a negative into a positive picture. Mm. You know, that's sort of what this is about for me, which is really nice. And then the other thing is I've always wondered why or I've always had sort of the need when I write a Vita, you know, I can't put my psychosis on the Vita while somebody who's climbed Mount Everest can do that. And I've always wondered, you know, why is that? How unfair is that? Because these experiences are so, um, so much a part of oneself. They are so formative and they're part of your personality and mm. what you've experienced, dreamed, lived, sweated through, angered through, cried through, laughed through. And, um, yeah, so it's very nice for me to be able to talk with you today. Thank you. Yeah, loads yeah. of things. I, I try and scribble down a couple of notes there as you go yeah. through. I think there's a few things that are really interesting to kind of come back to. Um, I, the, one of the first things that kind of popped into my mind was mm-hmm. um, kind of as you're talking through the, the your experience with schizophrenia and depression and um, two kind of almost separate illnesses that are maybe perceived in very different ways mm-hmm. um and I think when you are when you're in the field sometimes where where these conversations happen more often um you become very aware of certain types of language or at least I feel like I am and it's that side of seeing we kind of have I think schizophrenia being spoken about sometimes as more of a a more serious illness at times than depression um which is something that personally I don't really like um because um I've had experience of depression and being suicidal I've had friends that have experienced depression and taken their own lives and I think it's really hard within that context to describe another illness as more severe um, so I've become really aware of talking or trying to trying to um, mm. speak about things as being more complex because we know less about them or they're harder to treat. There's less research. Um, but I'm really interested as to kind of your mindset as, mm. as someone that has that experience of both illnesses as to what your kind of approach or thoughts yes. are as to how we speak about them. 
I think there. Um, I I certainly don't think that one um, experience or illness is uh, more severe than another, and I also don't think one is more complex than the other. I think depression, for example, is extremely complex, and um, it's just that the manifestation is different. Mm. So there are differences, but there's no value judgment in that these differences exist. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I really like that you've not mm-hmm. just agreed with me straight away. That's nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because depression is really so all-consuming. Mm. It is so, um, it's extremely physical. It's It debilitated me for half a year. I was just lying in bed. I couldn't move. I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't talk to anyone. Um, I was really comatose. I'm very, very sad, um, and um, and that is no no less severe than my highest ups or downs during schizophrenia. Depression is, can be a very severe um, mm. state to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, thank you. It's, it's like yeah. I say, it's really interesting to hear different people have different insights, and I think that's yes. so important because. There are times when I think naturally we sort of end up finding ourselves around people that think or speak fairly similar to ourselves and Mm -hmm. you end up in a bit of an echo chamber, don't you? Yes. It's about reminding yourself people do think differently just because the five people that are stood near me are saying the same thing Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that's actually the case. No, it doesn't. And I think we, Mm -hmm. in my mind, we see that a lot, or I feel like I Mm -hmm. see that a lot with awareness and kind of education Mm -hmm. about mental health and particularly around illnesses, where I think awareness and education has increased quite a lot. But then I'm very aware the people that I'm speaking to are also quite passionate or have lived experience around this and are more likely to have kind of had that experience. That Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean just the general public. has that awareness that education that knowledge around how to kind of identify that someone might be struggling with this or how to support them or signpost um Mm -hmm. does does that feel like kind of you're talking about a long-term experience does that feel like it's changed from different stages in your journey um it has changed. The first episode in the 90s that I had, <laughs> excuse me, I was very much on my own. The schizophrenia does something, I don't know if depression does that as much, but maybe, well, I think one does with depression too. But one tends to hide the beginnings, or I tended to hide the beginnings, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that made me slide more and more. And and by the time I did the 180 turn degree, I was really, you know, off on some, off of some jumping board and there was just seemed no return. Mm. And I was very much on my own. And this time around, I had a lot more friends and family constantly contacting me and wanting to be with me and speak with me. And part of it has to do with that. My family now has a history of dealing with me with, mental health issues Mm. um but my friends didn't here in switzerland and they were very very supportive um and i think that does have to do with that in overall public consciousness people are talking about it more Mm. which i think is very important um but i still feel that um 
the sort of clinical cliches are still attached to the illnesses and it's very hard to break through those. I think so. I think mm-hmm. that also kind of links into one of the other things I think you kind of mentioned that idea of managing or mending relationships with whether that's with colleagues family or friends and I think there are times when a particular illness or symptoms really make managing relationships difficult but I think almost any mental health illness um, whether diagnosed or not I think does make that the rapport really hard to manage because there is that potentially a lack of shared experience or shared understanding of actually where are you like the place that you're in can be very very different and it makes managing and relating to people sometimes quite difficult um from both sides from the person that's affected and also from being the, the friend yes I keep saying that um the reason why people who have mental health issues are not treated well in some instances is because the other person really lacks that experience that horizon of experience and there's often no ill will and vice versa is absolutely the same mm. so i found in mending relationships forgiveness is a very big thing to understand that you're coming from different places and that you have to relate to one another where you were at the time or where you are at the moment is very important Mm. and a kind of deep listening is very important to really hear where is the other one coming from the person going through the experience or somebody accompanying the person going through a mental issue or a mental experience and um yeah it, it it has to do with a certain kind of openness and readiness to to share the different worlds. Mm. I did see that you you've kind of been involved with like seminars and workshops and talks and things before. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering kind of when you're involved in those spaces and you're seeing people with maybe not the same lived experience but a, a mm-hmm. passion, I guess, at passion or interest at the least. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see that kind of real noticeable change in how they're relating to each other? Yes, you do absolutely. I think that talking. And um, bringing people out of isolation really helps. I think what's really important is to bring people out of the sense of being on their own. So group therapies are really important because you realize you have shared experiences. Talking with therapists one-to-one is very important because you can reflect on yourself. And... um, and have that in a in a dialogue, which is a very yeah. Good thing I to was do. wondering, like, kind of how how has or has mm-hmm. um, that experience been different in the last year, year and a half? Where in my head, stereotypically, if it's a kind of a group workshop or session, there's kind of I don't know twelve or however many people sat in a circle talking to each other or hearing experiences. Have you been involved in anything over the last sort of year and a bit to see how that could be different? Um, this 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 time around, not as much as the first psychosis. The the, the for myself now. I'm speaking now for myself. This time around, um, I moved from the city to the country. Okay. 
So my access to group therapies is very different from when, from what it was before. So I've done a tremendous amount of online work. And um, I've done some online workshops, but you really miss the, the presence of the individual. It becomes a lot more cerebral. Yeah. Uh? Yeah, it's a weird yeah. sort of... Um, it's yeah I can't think how to describe I, I've been really fortunate in attending like a, a lot more mm-hmm. um I guess like meetings and discussions in okay. the last year than I usually would have because mm-hmm. there's now no travel time or travel costs and mm-hmm. things seem a bit more accessible but there is that weird in between isn't there where mm-hmm. like it's great because we've sat down and had this conversation but equally I think like you say the the kind of the feeling that you get from being in a yeah. room with someone else and really kind of um, absorbing, I guess, things like body language. Like you think like yes. it's not body language now most of the time, is it? It's just like face language because that's all yes. you're really looking at. Yes. Um, it is a, but, a weird But at difference. the same time, I'm really glad. Sorry, I don't mean to. No, no. But, but, um, um, but at the same time, I'm really glad for the technology we have these days, especially in times of COVID. It's been really wonderful to be able to do online workshops and talks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think of... Yes. Well, particularly, you mentioned earlier that idea of kind of isolation and being kind of separate mm-hmm. to um, even your support network. Mm-hmm. without some of the tools that we have access to now you don't even want to think about kind of what the situation would have been for so many people yes. without that I think that's a, a, a big thing to, to reflect yes. on yeah um, and I mean with that idea of kind of support you mentioned kind of the the art the writing kind of the mm-hmm. in my head I've gone art and craft but <laughs> but that mm-hmm. might not necessarily be where you mm-hmm. went um, kind of how did you learn I guess that that was a thing that supported Mm. you it supported me a lot I've been painting um for 30 35 years and um it's over the years that it's become more and more of something I do not just as a hobby but for real yeah and um it's something which painting I paint very um it's called abstract, but they're really emotional chambers, what I paint. And there's a tremendous amount of thought. I always have a subject or a theme that I'm working on. And um, it helps me a lot to... Um, it's very meditative, my painting. And so it helps me to center myself, to reflect on things, on light, on a landscape. On I have one painting called Horizons where I reflected a lot on what's going on at borders and why human beings, aside from fleeing countries because they have to, mm. um, why there is such a fascination with crossing borders. Uh, I, yeah. I uh, and... Um, so I, I always had a theme and it takes me, you know, lots and far out places in my mind, um, which helps me a lot. And um, and what's helped me particularly now since my second um, episode is writing poetry. Because during my psychosis, I, my language was just so free. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I feel in the everyday language, I feel a lot more restricted than I was during my episodes. 
So the poetry writing has really given me a space to express thoughts and feelings and go with language in places that in everyday talk you do less, unfortunately. So the poetry has been very important. That's really been my anchor these last two years. That's really interesting hearing you say that because... I think I've kind of thought that, but not mm-hmm. actually realised I've thought that mm-hmm. with times when um, I've kind of written down like a, a, a journal type post of uh, this is what's going on at the moment. And those times when there is not not quite crisis for me, but kind of near it, mm-hmm. um, like the ease of writing once started the words just kind of flow out and it's really there's um very much a lack of care of does it sound good is it written correctly it's just out and I think the times when I'm maybe trying to be more reflective um and it's more I want to make sure I'm kind of talking about this because I think it's important rather than I'm really in it it is harder and I think yes. I don't know that I would have described it as restrictive but it is Yes, it is. Um, because there's so many other things that you are thinking about or trying mm-hmm. to make sure that you're keeping to mm-hmm. um, there are sometimes yeah, I guess I don't know if it's contradictions but there's a lot of different pulls on your attention mm-hmm. rather than just going kind of this is what's going on now yes um yeah, I like I really like that as a kind of an explanation of what's there. This is something that I really miss about uh, the emergence or the psychosis is being in the flow. Mm. You know, a lot of my time was spent being in an amazingly beautiful flow. Mm. For example, <coughs> excuse me, one time I was painting and um, I had a beautiful atelier in Zurich and I put my paintings outside outdoors to dry and it started raining and they became these beautiful rain paintings you know and I was just so happy I didn't think twice about the paintings being ruined Mm. or oh no now it's raining it just became part of the process and the rain was as beautiful as the sunshine and you know I was just in a constant flow when I was not in down moments. Mm. Mm. It's finding that balance, isn't it, I guess, of being able to be kind of creative and productive to some extent, I guess. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, being creative, being free to explore whether that's written work, um, kind of the, the, the artist work that you're doing, um, and being able to do that and really enjoy it while also not being in those moments of kind of crisis or high-end situation. Exactly. I'm struggling a little bit with that because my, um, you know, I had beautiful epiphanies and visions and and that was also just so inspiring for the artwork that I do. Mm. And now I'm quite a bit more settled Mm. and I'm struggling a bit with that. Yeah, it's, it's, not, finding, it's not that easy, yes. Finding a new yes. way to work. I find a new way to work, yeah. exactly. So I'm out in nature a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, I take a lot of walks and um, I'm in the forest a lot. And there's beautiful countryside around here. 
There's oh. the Rhine River, you know, and I'm walking where William Turner walked and I get inspired. Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> I've, I've heard recently, I'm, I'm trying to use it more often, this kind of idea. I think I think it's originally from a Japanese term, forest bathing. Yes. Um, so that kind of that idea of going out and really just utilising nature for a, a, mm-hmm. a kind of a well-being activity. Mm-hmm. Um, does that feel like that's something that you've kind of proactively started Absolutely. to seek out? Yes, I have. Forest bathing is, is Japanese and in Japan it is an, a recognised form of therapy. Mm. I, I remember the Japanese, that was as yes. much as my knowledge stretched. Yes. Um, <laughs> did, did, it's very beautiful you, being in the forest. How did you kind of start with that though? Was that something you yeah. thought, oh, this would be nice? Or did someone say we'd recommend you try this? Someone recommended it. And then I did a lot of um, meditation with Lion's Roar and the Tichnatan group in Plum Village online. And that really got me got the desire going to do a lot of um, walking meditation mm. and I happened to I was in a I was living this was after I came off the street and off the clinic and I was in a supported housing accompanied housing for a while before mm. I got my own apartment again and um, there was a forest nearby and at first after coming down from the Ill- illness right immediately afterwards I wasn't able to walk more than five ten minutes Mm. you know and I stretched that and stretched that and did more and more each day a little more and now I can walk for hours and I'm and I'm fine it's really beautiful and the forest did me so much good the birds and the colors and the smells and the the sounds and the earth it's really beautiful it's really not, it's one of those yeah. sometimes where I think there are I don't know about your experience but sometimes I find there are certain things that feel quite stigmatized when you sort of talk to people about actually think about going for a walk or doing writing or taking a bath and it's kind of like sometimes seen as that throwaway dismissive suggestion but sometimes those things really do work and really do make a massive difference for people. And I'm one of those people that actually really does benefit from just going for a walk or having a bath. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's the side of maybe where we're still at that level of awareness rather than education of really being aware of kind of what the impact is on people. When you yeah. say go for a walk, we're not saying just go outside and forget about it it's that idea of it's a physical activity mm-hmm. you know it's an opportunity to process I still I need to find the research but I have read something that says by physically moving forward that somehow mm-hmm. helps your brain process through thoughts yeah um well some... Nietzsche says don't trust the thought that isn't born in movement oh. isn't that beautiful that's good yes <laughs> I need to so I need to remember these things I need to somewhere write down these I, I just it'll be in like six months time I'll say I remember I had this conversation <laughs> movement has a lot to do with the freedom of thought and the movement of thought mm. at least for me it does when I'm in the woods and then from when I'm walking my thoughts flow freely and sometimes I chant sometimes I do walking meditation. The connection to the earth is very important. I hug trees. Um, gives me a tremendous amount of strength. 
that's really yes. not, I, I think it, yeah it's yeah. especially when you've got access to those spaces and like mm-hmm. we have some really nice spaces that are are really not that far from us and it, it's yeah. trying to engage in them in a in a kind of proactive way I think yes um you, you mentioned having had that experience of of moving around a little bit of being in very different settings um how has that because I can't I can't believe it hasn't how has that kind of impacted on your well-being in in those different types of environments yes um I loved living in New York I went to uh, college and university in New York and high school high school college and university and I loved New York those were just absolutely vibrant you know we were electrified I mean we were constantly on the move and constantly doing things and and getting together and having reading groups and work groups and parties and learning it was just so stupendous walks at night through the city mm-hmm. you know with bookshops being open until midnight on Broadway absolutely beautiful oh. I loved it it was a beautiful time then Hamburg and Zurich were also very active times and um, Hamburg, I lived by the water, and that influenced me a lot. I photographed the Elbe a lot, the river a lot. Um, I had my camera put up, and I would make a photograph, you know, over years. Oh, okay. From you know, so from there the was this kind of from the same spot. It was kind of a rhythm and a connection to that very strong landscape, but in an urban environment, this nature, this river but in a very urban environment. Mm. And um, yeah, and I, I keep becoming more and more rural. I mean, now I live in this small town and I moved here purposefully after my episode, after my um, psychosis and emergence, because I couldn't take the stimulus anymore of the city. My nervous costume is so has become so fragile. Mm-hmm. that I really needed calm and um, so I'm very happy where I am now I would have never imagined myself here oh that's really interesting I yes yeah, it's really interesting I think in my mind I kind of see the excitement I guess of like mm-hmm. the big city and like you'd say just stuff being open until late and the idea of being able to walk into a into like a bookshop or, or go yeah. to a repeated spot um but I yeah I think for me personally I think it's it's too much as a constant that'd be like a lovely a lovely six months I might be able to stretch myself to 12 um but yeah it's it is interesting to kind of hear hear that experience um one other thing I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about is you mentioned moving over with with the the written work that you're doing and the publications Mm -hmm. and moving from a pen name to your kind of true name yes um kind of are you able to tell us a little bit more about what made you have that decision were there things that kind of came into play um yeah just what led to that decision to to change Mm, yes um at at the beginning in 2006 when i wrote the first book sleeping with the angels um I was shy and embarrassed about my experience, to put it very simply. It was more complex than that. But 
and um, I was also working with the city of Zurich as an architect, so I was very careful about how to um, connect my my psychological well-being with my work, especially because the internet doesn't forget and so forth mm. and so forth and so forth. And um, and now after this episode, I've just decided that I don't want to have these barriers anymore. It was more of an intuitive thing that I felt the desire to connect these different aspects of my life. And like I said before, that I can't put it on my Vita, you know, that I've had um, emergences and spiritual experiences. It's how it makes me sad because they are such an important part of our lives or of my life. And they've been so formative. So it's it's I really feel like I've come circle and I'm becoming more complete by being inclusive about that. It is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting when I think of the different people I've spoken to on the podcast. There are so many different experiences and I think there is a real variation in how I guess when and why as well that people do include the the conversations the work that they do through um managing a mental health illness through speaking yeah. about it through sharing that insight um some people have been part of projects and campaigns and yet like you say that that isn't included on on their cv on applications yeah. that they send out mm-hmm. um and it can be such a i think in my mind particularly for younger people that maybe don't have loads of job experience it can be such a a a huge skill set that you have developed that you're not able at that time to talk about I think it's it's a shame that we aren't in an environment where that's maybe more accepted or where people feel more able to do that I think it's a huge shame because to live through a, a, a mental health crisis or to go live through an emergence or a depression or, or schizophrenia or burnout, you learn so much, not just about yourself, mm. but about other human beings. And I think I have become a lot more sensitive, a lot more empathetic, a lot more compassionate. Um I see the complexities of people's lives a lot more in the flesh, which I think is extremely beautiful. And it it has um, shaped what's called my emotional intelligence to a great extent. I, I would not want to have missed these experiences, no matter how difficult they also were at times. I don't mean to romanticize them. But um, aspects of it were so amazing. And so Sigge uh, uh, Jung says that we are ill not when we have the psychosis, but before that the psychosis is already part of the healing process. Um, and I find that so beautiful and true. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think there's a big thing in my mind mm-hmm. of we still, I don't know what the, culture is in the different places that you've been but for me I think particularly in the UK and I imagine in most places people are very much I think either sort of left or pushed to crisis before Mm. they are encouraged to seek support before someone is willing to listen Um, and I think that's often 
my concern with um with people's experiences is that like there are earlier signs um there are earlier symptoms that something um is is maybe affecting the way that you're living your life it might be that someone else has noticed or or you've noticed it um but i think we still live in a world even at the moment where people are kind of just get on with it and Mm -hmm. that's when we're starting to see sort of more and more of that crisis situation when it's so hard to learn how to manage that when Mm -hmm. you're in crisis when actually it's yeah it's those other times so yeah i think it it is interesting to think of it as almost like the start of that recovery is happening in that that moment that, of, yes. of, of crisis, I guess. Crisis, yes. It's very well said. I the, Over the last 20 years, there's been a, tr- a tremendous amount more talking about mental health issues. Mm. And I think that is extremely important. And, you know, talks like this also help a lot to... Um, to sensibilize. When I heard you speak on Therapy Lab, you spoke about how you very early already um, went to seek help, which I thought was really amazing because I was so, um, I was incapable of doing that Mm. because I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't sensitive enough towards the signals. It's it's that experience though, isn't it? I think he- like hearing uh, us, hearing from me, hearing you yes. speak through those experiences is that you can have that reflection in different types of approaches. And I think for me, knowing that the the time, well, I say the times predominantly one time, the the time that I'd gone into therapy not in crisis. Mm-hmm. and gone actually there's something I really really need to work on mm-hmm. this is now a good time to to go and kind of approach that is still it's hard to say whether it's fair or not because it was probably like the fifth or sixth lot of therapy I'd had so there's a a, a build-up I guess but mm-hmm. that was the time that I felt like I really learned the most because I was in a place where I could take yes. that on board and I think that's my thing of going, I definitely still think my kind of worst experiences of counselling or therapy were were the first ones. Mm-hmm. Because probably, make, because of where I was mentally at that time, yes. I, I wasn't really in a place to learn. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You just needed that support bubble so mm. they fulfilled very different purposes to actually probably what the course was trying to achieve mm. um and I think that's where I really like now when you speak to people often when there's a journey there you'll see mm. the more recent part of it is so much more connected to support to being yes. aware of what works for you and yes there is part of it's been a journey and you've had all of that lived experience in the past to benefit you now mm-hmm. but I do think and I kind of cross my fingers and hope that part of that is also because as you said we are more aware it's part of more public conversations yes accessing support is hopefully less stigmatized than it was before it definitely still is but less so, yes, less so. um and yeah conversations like us sitting down and, and kind of mm-hmm. sharing that hopefully encourage other people to go away and um, maybe reflect on things that have happened in the past or that are happening now and make you yes. think about 
actually maybe it would be quite nice to go and just talk to someone whether that's a friend a family member or a professional mm-hmm. about something that's going on for you yes absolutely i heard a um I've, I've had this this dream for a couple of years and i heard someone in a different area they have these flying classrooms to speak about um illness and, and dying and i thought that it would be really interesting to have a flying classroom to speak about um, mental health issues and, and especially being sensitive towards early early signs, early manifestations. Yeah, massively. Yeah. I think yes. I, I, I think it's that, or part of the idea in my mind, part of the struggle is that even if you ignore the crisis bit, I will mention every time, um, it's the idea that you have to have an illness to access treatment. And yes. I think it's not that. It is you have to be to crisis. But um, of encouraging people to say, yeah, maybe this is something that maybe it, it is a, 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 a symptom that could lead into a larger illness. Mm-hmm. But it could also just be just generally I would like to um, improve my well-being. Actually, I'm not struggling with anything. Yeah. But I would like to maybe develop some more skills now that, that will benefit or support me in the future. And very rarely, that one or two conversations maybe, but very rarely do I find that that's the case, that someone has just had a moment where they thought, actually, I'd just like to pay this more attention or I'd like yes. to be more educated or build up some stuff that I can do. It's often because there's been a, a particular incident situation or mm-hmm. um or illness at play so I am yeah I'm hopeful that it can start to be seen as that I think if there mm-hmm. are changes in kind of our, our school and and college education systems that kind of reflect on that I think that's really important because it changes that mindset that people grow up with that actually this is something we need to check all the time like we I don't know we clean our teeth we do exercise we do stretches it's like thinking about mindfulness or thinking about how my well-being is being kept in check and supported is really important and also as a not just as a um sort of checks and balances system but but to be in touch with yourself and to live that aspect of yourself to live your psyche to live your emotions to live your um mindfulness is so many things it's uh, not just sitting down and meditating and being aware of the cup on the table or it's 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 so much more yeah. I always feel like yeah. um I've got this example I'm sure I've given it a few times before where mm-hmm. um uh, I was having a conversation with kind of a small group of people we were talking about trying to get out of this idea that everything has to be very traditionally mindful mm-hmm. and um, I was like but you can make anything mindful and quite flippantly I said mm-hmm. I could make eating a packet of Pringles mindful like you can do anything yes. they're like well go on then I'm <laughs> <laughs> sort of sitting there and thinking oh that yes. was like you can do the tasting you can share it with other people and you can talk about that shared experience yes. um, there's lots of different things that you can do it's how we approach them and how we just make time for those things um and I think uh mindfulness for me is is more that prompt of really what do you spend your time doing and where do you want your value to be placed Uh, like 
I know a lot of the time I'll say I don't have time for that and quite genuinely <laughs> a lot of the time I don't mm-hmm. but there are times when actually I'm sat watching TV now that's important at some stages for kind of just switching off and having that moment to relax but there are also times when I'm doing that when I could place value in doing other things yeah. um, and I think it's about kind of recognizing where are you placing the value of, of your time and your retention yeah. um, and that can be part of that learning journey as well. Absolutely and, and watching a film or a program on the telly can be a mindful thing as well. I mean mindfulness for me is also is also the living context of everything of what you're doing. You know, who made the Pringle? Um, how do the people live who make the Pringle? Um, and so forth and so forth. Yeah, you know, oh, then, yeah, you can get... Yeah, <laughs> the potato growing in the field. Yeah. <laughs> how has this come into existence? Yes. Like you said, who's created the packaging? Like looking at the colouring, you can feel the texture mm-hmm. of the boxes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much you can do. It doesn't have to be whatever your kind of stereotypical... Yes it is um thank you so much for for sitting down um we've kind of talked through a few different things it's been really nice to get an insight into into your life really um if people want to find out a little bit more about you or about we've kind of mentioned the books as well Mm -hmm. where are good places for them to go to to do that one good place is my website. It's um, you can find it uh, under Gabrielle von Bernstorf Nachat or gvb.com, g-e-v-e-b-e.com, or the site uh, recovery, the recovery work journal is another site to go to for my books. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. We'll. we'll have links and stuff in the description as well so That's if, wonderful. If, if people can't remember that yours were quite succinct um email uh website accounts actually <laughs> often yes. someone's got like a very very long um address or url so um but yeah, yeah we'll include those as well but thank you so That's much for, for coming on for sharing thank your you experience. mike it's been really wonderful thank you for sharing with me These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.